previously on Killing Lorenzen. My baby gone. And that was my heart. Once again, the crowd came to see Lorenzen right at the FedEx Forum. But this time, in place of a goal, was a casket. In my mind, I got to get this bitch. I can't stop. I can't get sick. I can't even afford to die right now. Uh-uh. I got to get this bitch. Uh-uh. It was never not on my mind getting her. That was, that's the only thing I want. We're here to celebrate the life of Lorenzen Wright. He went to this school with us. We walked the hallways together. Lorenzen Wright's death left Memphis in shock. That was a terrible time. That was a terrible. Elsie Bailey was the principal at Booker T. Washington High School, where Lorenzen completed his senior year. She had moved on from the school by the time he died, but recalls students, faculty, and people from the community coming together for an impromptu memorial. We were there just to, just to talk about Lorenzen. Fred Horton coached Wright during the 94 to 95 school year. He wanted to be here tonight to honor Wright, his star player who went on to NBA fame. And like many who turned out tonight, he still has lots of questions about what happened to him. It's hard to keep it out of our head, but you know, we are, we are not to judge, but we'll let the, the law handle it. And hopefully, you know, whoever did this, I hope it will bring the justice. Justice is exactly what Lorenzen's friends and loved ones were waiting on, but at the time, they had no idea just how long it would take. I'm Zanetta Lowe. And I'm April Thompson. This is Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder. Episode 7, They Killed Him Twice. In August of 2010, just weeks after her ex-husband was found brutally murdered, his body left rotting in a field near southeast Memphis, Shara Wright packed up and moved out of her Collierville home. The home she and the kids lived in after her divorce from Lorenzen and the place he was last seen. A truck outside Shara Wright's Collierville home loaded with furniture. WREG News Channel 3 got a tip about Shara's move, so I went to find out what was going on. Neighbors say movers have been packing up belongings and taking them out since the weekend. The movers had nothing to say. Are you moving them? We're told that Shara Wright has also taken her children out of their school. Her attorney says she's thought about moving away to a home in Heber Springs and even as far away as California, but decided against it to keep the kids in a place they're accustomed to. One of Shara's attorneys at the time said she was moving the kids closer to Lorenzen's family. But on her way out, Shara gave law enforcement somewhat of a trail of evidence to follow in Lorenzen's murder investigation. She told Corryville police Lorenzen Wright left her home carrying a box of drugs. He came home and left a second time with a sum of money. She told them she overheard a phone conversation he had with an unidentified individual before he left. She told officers she heard Lorenzen Wright say he was going to, quote, flip something for $110,000. She also said he kept a shotgun in her Collierville home and a handgun in the family van. This theory about Lorenzen leaving Shira's house with drugs and money to quote flip something took on a life of its own. That's the first time anybody ever said anything with Lorenzen and some drugs. Gonna put my son in that category with the thugs in the street? Mm-mm. After he done worked so hard to be who he was, and then you're going to knock him down like that? Uh-uh. The story infuriated Lorenzen's mother, Deborah Marion, then, 
and it's one she says she nor Lorenzen's reputation have gotten past even to this day. She gives him his body, she assassinated his character. She killed him twice. Cause she made it, she killed him, then she made his, his person look like a drug dealer. Twice. Kill one man twice. This two killings of Lorenzen, as it's described, left the same impression on others close to Lorenzen, like Phil Dodson and Reverend Bill Atkins. Hearing that and for that to be put out in the in the in the universe that, well, he left with a box of drugs. I never saw Lorenzen no. do anything that would make you feel like, I mean, and that no. I'm the, no. That was the second murder. They murdered him twice. They physically killed him, then they assassinated his character by drumming up this lie yep. about him. And to this day, I will forever believe that the police and everybody took a different approach to that investigation oh, because they bought into the lie that Lorenzen was somehow connected to drugs. And that was just a lie. And I'm still critical of the police department because they were given information about his death weeks after he died. And they didn't move on it at all because primarily they had bought into this notion that it was a drug hit. That somebody had come to Memphis to kill him, to assassinate him because of a drug issue. And, that, and those of us that know him knew that that was impossible for Lorenzen. I felt disgusted, you know, I'm like, with some of the things that I heard, I'm like, no, that's not true. That ain't true either. You know, I know. That's Lorenzen's longtime friend, Michael Gibson. The two grew up together in Oxford, and Gibson worked and lived with the basketball star on and off, including right before he died. Did you ever know him to deal with drugs? No, other than smoke weed, no. That's it. Nothing else. So that, when you heard that story. Yeah, I'm like, this is, this is, this is all lied up, all made up. This is nothing to that nature. See him want to buy any drugs or sell drugs and things like that. Other him smoking a little weed every now and then, that was it. <laughs> Lorenzo don't do anything without letting someone close know. Shara's attorney, Coleman Garrett, defended her statements when he spoke to News Channel 3 back then even saying it caught him off guard. The audio is a bit hard to hear, so listen closely. When I saw that in the paper, I was upset about it too because I didn't have any idea that she had said anything like that to the police officers. And I still don't know the, the, the extent of what was said in that regard. Obviously, this was something that was apparently done or said before we knew what Lorenzo's fate was. Garrett reiterated Lorenzen and Shara had six children. Quote, their dad's a hero in this community. We're not going to do anything to taint that image. If anything, he said, Shara was afraid for her own life. If her husband or ex-husband met the violent fate that has been reported under the circumstances of this case, and if that happened to him, why wouldn't it be natural for her to think that under given circumstances, something violent could happen to her? And remember, there was also the story Mike Gibson said Shara shared about mysterious men in trench coats coming to her house looking for Lorenzen. While he didn't believe his friend had died in a drug deal gone wrong, this idea that hit men killed Lorenzen and were still out there did leave Lorenzen's friends and family living in fear. What was it like 
being at that home that you had shared with him and you knew that he was, oh, I, was I was scared i was you know i was scared i'm like oh somebody married my friend and i'm left here to deal with this you know i was trying to move as soon as possible so uh, maybe they come from me you know i don't know i can remember after you know him coming up missing and then i'm thinking to myself all right so i dropped him off that night at 10 o'clock whoever did the hit whether they're watching whether they're watching me you know here's lorenzen's first cousin trevino vassar and it took like years before i could really like trust anybody i'm not gonna lie to this day I still ride, to this day, right I still ride with a pistol that he gave me. I'm never leaving nowhere. We told you in episode five about Lorenzen selling possessions for quick cash and how his name, although later cleared, surfaced in a federal investigation after cars he owned ended up in the hands of a known Memphis drug dealer, Bobby Cole. Cole was a member of a drug empire run by kingpin Craig Pettis. What were police doing at this time? Looking, 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 looking. They trying to find, they trying to find Bobby Cole now. Craig Pettis people, which was nothing but making them look doofus. It's just chasing nothing. Exactly. Rainbows. You know, ain't nothing at the end no damn rainbow. Do you believe those initial conversations police had with some of those people led them down the wrong path? Yeah, sure. It started with Sheriff and Herb, because they don't put him here. She don't put him here. Herb and Sheriff both done put him out of town. You know, somewhere where they saying that he is. When he's nowhere but right here in Memphis. You know, they both of them put him somewhere. You feel like that hurt their investigation? Yeah, slowed them down. Made them go another route instead of going straight to Sheriff's legs. The bottom line is the police department and everybody bought her story. They They bought into her story. They saw her as the... The, the hurting widow who was divulging that her husband was dealing in drugs had a shoebox full of money and, and drugs the night that he was killed. They, they bought into that. And because of that, they didn't investigate. Next week marks four months since former Memphis Tiger and NBA player Lorenzen Wright's badly decomposed body was found in a field off Hacks Cross Road. By November of 2010, another NBA basketball season had started. Lorenzen would have celebrated his 35th birthday. And as the days turned to weeks and weeks to months, many wondered if police would ever find out who killed Lorenzen Wright. Even the police director himself, Larry Godwin, admitted concerns. Director Godwin is hesitant to say the case has gone cold, but it's clear without any leads, it could end up that way. I still have the investigators assigned to it, and they're still working it. Uh, it's not gone to the cold case file. But, you know, I think you guys know me pretty well. I'm not one that likes to lose, and I don't matter what it is, I don't like to lose, and, and I don't plan on losing this. I had a great team, and if, it's, if it can be solved, I'll solve it. Larry Godwin retired in 2011. We contacted him for this podcast and exchanged several emails, but could never get him to agree to an interview. Tony Armstrong took over the top job after Godwin. He'd spent years in homicide and was deputy director at the start of the Lorenzen Wright case. I can literally say we, we threw the kitchen sink at this. As director, Armstrong was typically tight-lipped, but he's now retired from the force and sat down with us for roughly two hours. He said he wasn't directly involved in the initial formulation of the case, but much of it later played out under his watch. 
that we understood the, the amount of attention that this was going to get in search, that we understood the amount of attention it was going to get if we didn't do our due diligence. And one person who was going to make sure of that was Deborah Marion. She was relentless in her quest to find out who killed her firstborn son. Lorenzen Wright's mother believes someone out there knows what really happened in this field. That's why her efforts are now turning to helping raise $100,000 for reward. She works like a detective, trying to piece the puzzle together. Some things still don't add up. Right where the police car is, that's the hottest spot down there. And I was wondering how would they get a 611 guy in through that fence. Still trying to figure that out. A detail that still puzzles Lorenzen's friends and family today. We always had a plan. If somebody ever got kidnapped, that, that lets me know that he was with somebody he knew. He trusted. We had a plan. He said, bro, if anybody gets you in the car, the first person you go for is the guy driving. Because the guy driving is either going to make you wreck, or he's going to have to stop, or he's going to do something to cause a scene. So my thing was, like, if he was in the car with somebody he knew or somebody that he, I mean, that he didn't know, he would have caused Because he's too big to be in a car with somebody he cannot get a hold to. You know, I'm as I try to envision the scenario of him getting shot or whatever, I know him. He, first of all, he's good with guns. He can fight. So how are you going to get a man of that size to just bow down? Because you point a gun at him, that's not going to threaten him. He's going to attack you. He's going to rush you, you know? So that's why I said it had been multiple people with multiple guns on him or he's either in handcuffs, you know, and he can't do anything. Now, obviously, he still man managed to grab a phone and dial 911 because I know Lorenzo, he's very, very aggressive. So I can't see how you're going to get him to bow down like that unless he's he uh, helpless. What do you think he had to do? To be able to it was obviously he was fleeing for his life. I, I think at that point, it's pretty clear, it's pretty safe to say that he had recognized I'm in trouble. Uh, he had recognized that more than likely my life is in danger. Uh, and from the tape that I listened to, it, is, it appears to me that he's running. Uh, it appears to me that he's trying to create some distance between him and whoever uh, his assailants are. Uh, it appears to me that he knows that without, without a shadow of a doubt, I need help. And, and I need help very, very quickly. And for Deborah, there was no question or even day of the week that was off limits. I told you, even on Sundays, like one of, got one of the posts I knew, like, oh, Sundays too. I said, baby, my son is still dead. He ain't back, so I'm gonna come every day, y'all open. Sundays too. The next Sunday I went up there, I said, I brought you some donuts too. Here you go. I got glazed because I know what you wanted. Good. Hmm. You weren't gonna stop. Mm -mm. Nope. Like I told her, I don't know what these women in Memphis do when they children get killed, but they don't kill the wrong motherfucker this time. Only thing I had time to do was call the police, go to the police department, call the police, go to the... That's the only thing my whole life represented, going to the police department. Because I figure if I wear their ass long enough, they'll do something, they, you know, shut me up. They're going to do something to get me out of their face because I wasn't going to stop. Talking to his mom, you know, a lot of people have made a, a big deal out of finances and money and everything. She never mentioned money to me. The only thing she mentioned is... I want justice for my son. And obviously she, she was very, very passionate about the wife having something to do with it. But it takes evidence. You know, you can't, you can't arrest somebody for a murder for a theory. What kind of evidence? It takes a lot, you have to have victims. Uh, um, not, well, you have to have, obviously you have to have 
hard evidence, you know, but it's it's uh, DNA. Obviously, a gun would be helpful. Uh, shell casings, those type of things. It uh, witness accounts, motive. Did she have motive to kill him? Well, it depends on how you d define motive, and, and certainly it depends on exactly what was going on in with, with their relationship. And certainly money has been uh, described as a possible motive. Um, so from that particular point, yes, you know, uh, if, if she stood to uh, gain financially, then that's a motive. Did she or anyone else that you all interviewed at the time possibly point you in the wrong direction? I'm not, I can't say for certain. Um, you know, again, one of the things that I found odd is that if you have somebody that has been the victim of a crime of that magnitude, has been brutally murdered in the fashion that Lorenzen was, you would think that the people closest to him would want to move heaven and earth to find the people or to lead you in the direction of the people that are responsible for that. Um, and there was a feeling that we weren't getting that. And there was another reason Lorenzen's family was convinced Shara knew more than she was letting on, that remote location where his body was found. If you look at a map of Memphis, you'll notice a loop around the city. Go south and east of that and you'll find a small street called Callus Cutoff. We just turned off of Germantown. Well, actually, we just turned off of Hex Crossroad onto what is called Callus Cutoff. All of this was not developed and this is where police had actually further back set up the staging area wouldn't let people go any further. It runs east and west, connecting two larger roads, and also runs into a golf course subdivision where Shara and Lorenzen lived. I said, bro, Shara has something to do with him being killed because of where they found him at. I was like, you found him on a place where y'all used to chill and go at and get away from the house, from the kids or whatever, and do y'all things. You found him at the same spot, a couple feet back in the back. And don't nobody know where it's at. At one point, Deborah's house was just a few miles from Lorenzen and Shara's, and family would use the route as a shortcut. So this is Deborah's old subdivision. So that was less than a minute. So she would, Deborah said she would cut between, she would use Cutoff cut off to get from her subdivision over here, which is off of Germantown Road, to Southwind, where Lorenzen and Shara lived. Here's Lorenzen's grandmother, Louise Vassar. But see, if they'd have listened to me, they'd have found the Freud did. Because that's where they went to fight. That's what they argued. Who? Shirley and Ganya. See, have y'all been through that? They didn't really straighten it up now the way it was. I used to go from Debbie's house to their house and go through this, I don't know what they called it. You see Nazi swats and everything, anything. And every time I make that shortcut, I put the middle to the pillow so I was scared. I, don't, I wasn't afraid, I was scared. Family members also said one of Shara's cousins told police, while Lorenzen was still missing, that Shara told her his body would be found over there. While it wasn't public knowledge then, we now know police did have close eyes on Shara early in their investigation. Court records reveal police wiretapped her phone for roughly 10 days, a few weeks after Lorenzen's death. Nothing came of it. Wiretaps are not as easy as people think that, that they are. They're very time consuming, especially when you talk about multiple people. 
Uh, and it depends on the phone usage. It depends on how much they're using that phone. But who Shira was talking to also opened up another part of the investigation that would eventually become critical to the case. We'll explain more in a later episode, but listen carefully to these clips from a story April did in late 2010. Cheryl Wright's phone calls led police to some of her family members. Among the many people spoken to, a person with a murder charge in his past. WREG On Your Side investigators have learned Cheryl Wright's cousin from Batesville, Mississippi, 27-year-old Jimmy Martin Jr. was called to testify before the grand jury. Jimmy Martin Sr. is just learning that his son was questioned by the grand jury in the Lorenzen Wright case. I pray that he hasn't been drawn into a situation where he knows something and would conceal it. Despite these details, we've learned police might have missed other crucial evidence along the way because of people they reportedly didn't talk to. So what about your interactions after he had been found? Um, how many times did the police come talk to you or what happened? No, I mean, they, they would always call. No one ever came by and talked to me other than reporters, you know. Um, so the police never came to his apartment in Atlanta? Never. Never came. I've had a couple of them say they were going to come, but they never did. So that was another thing I thought that bothered me, you know. I've had more than three different policemen, detectives in Memphis, ask me my physical address, saying they were going to come and um, get my statement and talk to me, but never did. I just want to go back over that one more time. Mm -hmm. You've been contacted mm -hmm. by Memphis police. Right. But you've never provided a statement. Never. Like I said, I've had detectives saying they were going to come. They asked me for my physical address, and I gave it to him. I ain't saw nobody. Remember, Gibson lived with Lorenzen and had access to his personal belongings. Jeremy Orange, the friend who drove Lorenzen's children to Memphis that final weekend in Lorenzen's SUV, shared a similar story. Did police reach out to you? Yes, ma'am, they did. The police did they? reached out to me. Well, you know, I'm going to keep it honest with you. At first, I had to call the police station to tell my story because no one contacted me. No one. <laughs> no one contacted me. And this was the first, this one is freshly first happened. And I'm like, hey, talk to me. So I had to call the police station. I first called his mom. I said, hey, look, what, what's a detective working on it? Because let me tell you, I went, you know, for a man that goes to the house that Monday morning to go get the kids. And they talk about the time of the 911 call. You know, I just, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm in the, in the, you know what I'm saying? We interviewed Mike and Jeremy separately and months apart, by the way, and also months after our interview with Armstrong. So we called Armstrong back after hearing this. He said he couldn't verify their claims one way or the other, and it sounded hard to believe, but it would be, quote, troubling if true. He said those notes should be in the case file. So we recently reached out to Memphis police, but haven't heard back. Now's also a good time to tell you we filed several public records requests as it relates to this case, but they've been denied. Anyway, if what Mike and Jeremy are saying is true, you had people who wanted to talk to police, but police didn't follow up. On the flip side, there's Shara, 
Lorenzen's ex-wife, who at a certain point during the investigation, refused to continue speaking with the police. Here's what her attorney, Coleman Garrett, told WREG at the time. We didn't have anything to do with this, and we don't have any information that would assist in resolving this crime in terms of who is responsible. We have no further statement to make. We don't see anything to be gained by fueling the fire and the rumors and the innuendos that's swirling around this community. While Shara stopped talking to police, she did decide to sit down with WREG News Channel 3. It was 90 days after Lorenzen was murdered. Shara had occasionally given her thoughts on the case, but never in a full sit-down interview setting. But she accepted WREG's offer to talk and gave me the first TV interview. We met Shara Wright at her attorney's office. She said it was time to talk. Everybody wants closure. That audio is from the story that aired in November of 2010, exclusively on WREG-TV. We aired the first story on our 10 p.m. newscast and followed with three additional segments where Shara opened up about everything. One of Shara's attorneys, Coleman Garrett, was by her side as we talked for more than two hours. Also with her, the two youngest children she had with Lorenzen, daughter Sophia, who was three at the time, and son Lawson, who was six. The kids waited in an adjacent room while Shara sat down at the conference table across from us. Coleman Garrett was on her right. Shara was wearing a black silk top and blue jeans. Her shoulder-length black hair was in a bob-style cut, parted to the side. She didn't seem nervous, her hands folded. She told me why she said yes to this sit-down interview. I just don't want people, you know, to forget him and you know I know that it's been going on now for about 90 days and we haven't heard anything as a family and I, I really don't want people to forget him. But it wasn't a case of forgetting the basketball star. Most people wanted to know who killed him and why. So Shara Wright with her attorney by her side took us back to that weekend Lorenzen came to Memphis from Atlanta. His oldest daughter was preparing for a pageant at a local church. He actually came home to see me and the children. A little serious, but a little, and he always is like that, but I mean, he was picking me up and twirling me around. I mean, he was just normal. He was Lorenzen. Shara set out the timeline of what turned out to be Lorenzen's last hours at her Collierville home Sunday, July 18th. She said Lauren, their oldest daughter, won third place in a competition for Queen of the Zion District at her church. The award was a scholarship for the top three participants who raised the most money. Lauren won $50 for third place. Shara said Lorenzen even took Lauren shopping for a dress in Atlanta and actually texted her pictures of the dresses they were considering and even said some of them were too grown for her. He had a driver take Lauren and the kids to Memphis with Lauren's new dress. She said Lorenzen flew from Atlanta to Memphis the next day, Sunday, not to go to the pageant, but to be with her and the kids. According to Shara, he was picked up by Alexis Bradley, a girl he was seeing, and he went and got a haircut. Shara says she remembered it. It was a fresh cut because little pieces of hair were left on her pillow where Lorenzen slept. She described an enjoyable night between the two. And you said he was over at your house? Yeah. And you went to sleep? He was asleep with me most of the majority of the time. And they will be getting very close, too close. That last voice you heard was Sheryl Wright's attorney, Coleman Garrett. You will hear him interject several times when we ask Sheryl questions during our interview. 
He kept a hawkeye on where the conversation was headed, making sure she never crossed the line and said anything that went into the details of the police case. But Shara's details of that night were already contradicting what she told us at the time Lorenzen was still missing. Back then, she never hinted that Lorenzen stuck around long enough to fall asleep with her. Listen. He wasn't able to spend a night because he wasn't here quite that long, but he ran out and he never came back. Shara says while others were worried when they couldn't reach Lorenzen, she really wasn't. I didn't think anything was wrong until my daughter started having bad dreams and saying that she wasn't feeling good about it. And I think that's the first time that I cried. And I started crying and then I started texting him and I'm like, okay, look, this ain't even cute no more. Where are you? You don't have to tell me anything about where you are. I don't care. I just need to know. Just text back and say, I'm okay. And no response. And when that weak marker hit, I went into panic mode. Shara said she was panicking, worrying where Lorenzen was and what happened to him. But she was also feeling something else. Questions, not just from the public, but also from police. And then it was so heightened by the police coming asking 10,000 questions. And I was like, oh my God, like this is like surreal. Shara knew others were pointing fingers at her and she knew why. Why do you think people think that you may have something to do with this. Who else? I mean, you have to blame somebody. Everybody wants to blame people. Everybody wants closure. And police had plenty of questions for her since she was one of the last people to see Lorenzen alive. One of the um, police officers, um, when I first did my initial question at 201, he was like, look, we don't know anything. We need to know something. We need your help. And Shara wasn't the only one talking. She and her oldest son, Lorenzen Jr., who was 15 at the time, were called before a grand jury. Brother, cousins, friends, just anybody who I knew or anybody who I had on my telephone bill. I had mixed emotions. Um, I've never been in any kind of trouble or anything in my life. And um, so it's like they're really trying to make me be in some type of trouble. A short time later, Shara Wright stopped talking to police, refusing to answer any more questions. There's nothing else to say to them. There's nothing else to say to them. Did police tell you not to leave town? I think it was something to the extent that they would like for me to stick around because I have a vacation home in Arkansas and I just wanted to get the kids and go. But there was one thing Shara maintained as she talked to me that October morning in 2010, her innocence. Did you have anything to do with Lorenzo's murder? No, no. If I knew who did this to Lorenzo, you would know who did this to Lorenzo. They didn't just do this to Lorenzo, they did this to me. They did this to my children. My children don't have a father. I got four boys without a dad. I have Lorenzo Wright Jr. without Lorenzo Wright Sr. 
So I believe that they should be punished. Cheryl Wright told us she was searching for answers on who did this to her ex-husband. It's a whole lot of hypotheses, a whole lot of um, insinuations, things of that nature, but nothing that's solid, concrete, nothing that'll give the family, the children, myself, any closure. And I thought about Lorenzen and I thought about the heat. And then I thought about it rained. And it was like the hottest days of the summer during that time. In that 2010 interview, Shara told us about what happened even before Lorenzen was killed. That could have been a clue. At least she told us as much as her attorney would allow. After the murder, Wright told police about three men with guns who showed up at her Carrierville door weeks before Lorenzen disappeared. She says they were looking for the basketball star. At the time, she did not call police. Can you say anything about the men that came to the house? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Mm. Wright's attorney, Coleman Garrett, cuts us off, saying that's part of the investigation. When Larizan was missing, it was July, one of the hottest months on record. But neighbors recall something odd at Cheryl Wright's home. Even some neighbors were saying, well, we saw her burning something in the backyard. I've heard so many things that were exaggerated, that were added on to, that are taken away from. But I don't have lights on the back of my house. And we burn our fire pit once a week, even in the, the hottest parts of the summer. But there was also something else. Shara's van that Lorenzen was reportedly in shortly before he was killed. There was some d discussion about your van and some speculation that when you last saw him, he was in the van. Did police ever look at the van? We don't talk about that off record. <laughs> I'm talking about that. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, well, let's not, let's move on to the next question. Shara laughed it off, refusing to answer. But what would be her motive when it came to killing the father of her children? Around town, there was talk it was all about money. So the interview turned to finances. Many people said Shara was the one who had the most to gain if anything happened to Lorenzen. Remember, she was the trustee over the money the children would get from Lorenzen's estate, and he took out a million-dollar life insurance policy just months before his death. Lorenzen had broad shoulders. His whole family depended on him, um, including myself and the kids. Cheryl Wright says her ex-husband, Lorenzen Wright, had plenty of obligations. They came with the millions of dollars he made with the NBA, reportedly $50 million over his career. She says even during the not-so-good times, it was all relative. Financial difficulty to Lorenzen may be not making $365,000 every two weeks and be making $150,000 every two weeks. Um, being in financial distress for him is not having $10,000 in my pocket every day as opposed to, you know, just having a couple of grand in my pocket. It, it's, it's perception. But was it money that led to the basketball star's murder? Cheryl Wright told police Lorenzen had plenty of cash on him the day she last saw him alive. Some reports say fifty to $100,000. He was an NBA basketball player. He always had a lot of money. 
It was also said something about trying to flip. Don't go there. That's what you do at the casino, too, I mean. Her attorney cut off the questioning on what Lorenzen had planned for the money. Lorenzen and Shara's money problems were no secret. They had two houses worth millions that went into foreclosure over the last few years. There are a lot of people who lost houses during this time period, but it doesn't mean that you weren't able to take care of your family or provide for them. Lorenzen has always been a good provider for me and the children. In their divorce settlement, Lorenzen was to pay $26,000 a month in alimony and child support, including $4,000 in nanny services, $2,500 for credit cards, $800 for entertainment, $600 for housekeeping. And when Lorenzen and I were going through our divorce, Lorenzen was playing NBA basketball. So those are just standard things that, that standard NBA wives ask for. But Lorenzen was really good to me in our divorce. He was really good to me. Shara's description of their divorce settlement was starkly different from what her divorce attorney back then told us. We spoke with Gail Mathis just weeks after Lorenzen was killed, and she said money had become an issue between Shara and Lorenzen. Mrs. Wright did not receive uh, any regular payments. He would occasionally give her a little bit of money, nothing close to what he had been ordered to do. So I asked Shara to explain that. Never behind in child support, he was. No, I didn't. I did not say that. Um, but my child support was off record. It was. It didn't go through the state. It came whatever he was going to give me. It came directly to me, and if he was going to give me an alimony, it came directly to me. So uh, they they don't have a record of what he did and did not pay. But so you're saying he did pay? I'm saying that there were times where he provided money for me and the children. But there were certain things that were off limits when Shara and I talked. Her attorney would not allow her to discuss anything about Lorenzen's NBA pension or that million-dollar life insurance policy, including who benefited from it. So you can't say anything about the pension or anything? What about it? No, ma'am, we can't talk about it. <laughs> okay. Her attorney says it's still tied up legally. Lorenzen's financial problems have apparently now become Shara's, including lawsuits over property loan defaults. It was then we asked the question and Shara gave the response that still sticks in many people's minds. What was she doing for money since the breadwinner of their family was now gone? Many say her answer was telling. So how are you getting by now? Where do you, where do you get money from? I was married to an NBA basketball player for 13 years, April. That's so it's not still all tied up legally? Right? I was married to an NBA basketball player for 13 years, April. My watch is a car or my ring is a house. I mean... I have 12 house notes in my ear right now. I'm just saying like... Okay. <laughs> he was good to me. Her attorney tried to stop her comments. But Shara showed us her watch, her ring, and the diamonds in her ear. But when I asked her about contributing to the reward fund to find Lorenzen's killer... Have you added to the fund or planned to? No, I'm taking care of six children without a husband right now. So I don't have uh, anything to contribute at this time. I, I mean, it could be 
months and months before they come up with something. I don't know, you know, I have no idea. And in the meantime, my reserve is actually what, what, what was called my nest egg. It's now becoming my income. Shara said when she decided to do an exclusive interview with WREG-TV, she was thinking about her six children who had lost their father. She said everyone had been speaking for her kids and she had a voice, so it was time for her to speak. It's just difficult when people speak for you and for your children. Her children were all under the age of 16 when their father Lorenzen died. He was a really good dad. A dad who went from missing to murdered. His children watched and waited as the mystery unfolded. Shira explained how the kids learned the horrifying news that it was indeed their father's body that was found in a field. We found out, my oldest son found out on the news. Nobody came to my door, nobody knocked on the door, nobody came to, I think that was one of the hardest parts uh, in the beginning, the fact, the way that they found out. Their oldest son, Lorenzen Jr., was the first to see the report on television that body in the field was his dad, Lorenzen Wright. I could just hear him screaming from upstairs. Um, and his words were, oh my God, oh my God, he's gone. They found your mommy, oh my God, what am I going to do? Shara said for the children, the funeral was the hardest, especially for their youngest daughter, just three years old. My youngest daughter, and um, she was looking at the casket, and she kept asking everybody, mommy, granddaddy, what's in the box? No closure, no kiss you on the forehead, no nothing. Shara told us how she took the kids to the field where their dad's body was found. She got emotional, wiping tears from her eyes as she described it. They wanted to know, they wanted to be, you know, maybe trace some of his um, steps or... And it was just too overwhelming, so we had to leave, I mean... We tried to imagine, you know, was he scared or Lawrence was kind of bold on the basketball court. I don't know if you followed him, but he was bold. And so we wondered, what did he do? Back then, Shara told us their children were adjusting and were actually making honor roll at school, despite their tragic loss. I dealt with a little bit of anger management with the oldest, Lorenzen Jr., um, the first couple of, the first month. And um, my daughter, she's um, the second oldest, Lauren, she has um, handled it in a way that is admirable to me. Um, I have, uh, now I'm looking up to her because what she d did was transform her life and into becoming a person that he would be proud of. Lorenzen's kids would follow in his footsteps, playing basketball in school and on local teams. His daughter, Lauren, even wore her dad's same number, 42. But they still could not escape the rumors about their mother having something to do with Lorenzen's death. I asked Shara about that. Do they know that people think that you may have had something to do with it, that they hear that, or does any 
at school. Well, my kids are um, very, very intelligent. They uh, use the internet and it's all over the internet. And But my children, they know me and they know their dad and they know what kind of relationship we had and they know, you know, there's no way possible. I mean, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. But rumors were running rampant. We already told you about one of those reasons, the location where Lorenzen's body was found, a road not known to many, but quite familiar to Lorenzen and Shara. There was also some um, speculation that that was a place where you all would go to talk, like you didn't want to argue in front of the kids. I'm going to say that I have been down that road and talked to him, but that wasn't like a meeting spot where we always went to, but we have talked. It's the same area where someone called 911 from Lorenzen's phone. Shara Wright wonders why Germantown police never followed up on the call, even though they heard gunshots. It would have been beneficial to our family if someone was to take his call serious. Who gets a phone call with gunshots and not move on it? Who does that? When Germantown police told Memphis and Carrierville about the call, Lorenzen's body was quickly found. At first I was angry because I felt that, you know, if there was anybody to blame, all the blame was being placed on me, but if there was anybody to blame, then, you know, I, I wanted to do the blame game too. And soon she would. Next time on Killing Lorenzen. In July, Sheriff filed suit against Carrierville and Germantown police for negligence. Probate court records show Sheriff Wright spent more than $973,000 in 10 months. I hope they will slow the roll on what's left. Put it somewhere to draw interest so the kids can have some money left when they get ready to go to college. Some say the fictional book Shara authored, Mr. Tell Me Anything, was a reflection of her troubled marriage. That's immediately when the psychic uh, readings, the prophetic uh, information started coming through to me. I stopped dead in my tracks in the living room. I felt Lorenzen Wright's presence. They think a gun found in a lake in Walnut, Mississippi, was one of the weapons used to shoot and kill Lorenzen Wright. I could do nothing but cry. It's the only thing I could do. Only thing I could do was cry. Cause this let me know they really working. Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder is a production of WREG-TV in Memphis. It's reported and hosted by us, Zanetta Lowe and April Thompson. Our editor is Josh Strawn. Original music, Lorenzen's theme by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of web and social. Eric Lipford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues, Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Ernam, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, and share it.